Hello, and welcome to Outside World Occultism. I am JT, and with me today are Ni. Hello. Katja. Hello. And Lavander. Hello. Before we get into the meat of this episode, we've been doing this for a time-adjusted three months or so, and we have broken an average of 100 views, or I guess listens. There are listens in the podcast world per episode, so <laughs> shout out to the 100 of you that apparently exist and are here consistently. We really appreciate you. Yeah, it's wild that it's so consistent. Also, personally, when I listen to a podcast, I do, in fact, watch it and just sit there staring at the progress <laughs> bar. It gives me a sense of accomplishment. <laughs> I it's do, like too. a loading bar. <laughs> a loading bar of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of horrifying, but great. The mortifying ordeal of being known. So, speaking of false senses of accomplishment, today's topic... Video games. Before that, should we address, we mentioned last week, we talked a bit about uh, 17.5, but we forgot to mention the already published, well... Hinted at, or like... Revealed? Yeah, revealed. We forgot to mention the already unsealed um, teaser <laughs> page of the upcoming manga. Right, Lotus Eaters, or that's the name that we're going with, right? Because there's no... English subtitle. I think we're going with Lotus Eaters, yeah. Kind of like 17.5, there's no official English name for it yet. Zoom, please give us the name. Half of the name is in Katakana, so Lotus Eaters is the undebatable part of the name. So that's what people usually go with for now. What's the debatable part? The whole subtitle is like and the last part means like sobering, like sobering up from being drunk. Oh, interesting. The three kanji name is, I think it was Suchoka, which means drunken butterfly flower. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of has the same sound as Suika's name in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the teaser art featured Suika's arm and like the mystical drinking gourd, or maybe it's just a regular drinking gourd, I forget. It's her normal drinking gourd. Okay, she's practical, unlike Kasan. You can't drink out of the uh, magical one, right? Because then it's infinite and you can't breathe. Yeah, I guess that would be a problem. Well, Suika does, apparently. The infinite one is hers. Rip to other yokai, but I'm different. But yeah, basically everything we know about it for now is that Suika's probably in it to some effect, but we have no idea if it's like centered on Suika, which I would actually find kind of weird. Yeah, that yeah. would definitely be a break from pattern. Yeah. It would be interesting because a little like logo or whatever for like the title includes a little like whale yeah. image. There's like a little whale in the title and I don't know what that means. Yeah. Because there's no like other reference to whales in the rest of the title or the art. It could be a symbolic thing. It's about how the girls get into gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Topical, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of vague symbolism that could mean something or could not mean something. Since obviously the Lotus Eaters in the name is also a... Odyssey reference. It has a wider like metaphorical meaning, but it's originally an Odyssey reference. Yeah. Right. The, the island of the Lotus Eaters who are yeah. out, you know, living in their drug-induced dream world. Yeah. So actually the whale is a reference to Scylla and it's about Hecatia instead of Suica. <laughs> it was a fake out all along. Yeah. Sweek is just there because I only live in hell, and thus we can still say it was foreshadowing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have such a good track record with hell foreshadowing. <laughs> we say it enough times, we have to be right eventually. Mm. It'll happen sooner or later. But yeah, there isn't much to go on, but obviously the one clear theme from the title and 
Suika being involved somehow is drunkenness, so I guess that's going to be in there somehow, but I mean more than the average Toho story anyway. Somebody suggested that it would be sort of like um, a thing where like everyone gets together and gets drunk. And talks about their escapades. Yeah, they either recount stories from their past or like come up with other stories or stuff like that. I would love to hear about all of the girls' escapades. Yeah, that would be really great. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, honestly, I personally read the manga most for the, like, random characters that show up and such. So obviously I wouldn't mind a format that's more suited to having these shorter stories about different characters. Well, I don't know, I I don't think we should say that there has to be some sort of longer running theme or story, because it could be just like individual short stories as well. I really think that like that sort of format where it's just like really short vignettes would sort of suit Zun's storytelling style more because he's not good at overarching. Yeah. 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 I think we, we've agreed on that. <laughs> We'd love to appreciate you Zun, but please just write short stories. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the big thing with the vignettes would be that everyone always geeks out when there's the smallest detail revealed about their favorite characters or whatever. So getting to do that with every chapter would be pretty amazing. Yeah, the other thing is that a format like this would give Alice the greatest chance at a speaking line. (laughs) (laughs) And what is it, 10 years? Has it been 10 years since she's last said a word on screen? Has it been? Alice Margatroyd has been dead for 10, uh... I I, I was halfway through the meme and then I realized that it's not appropriate for this podcast. (laughs) Sometimes I get to hear her voice. (laughs) <laughs> there we go. Thank you for for saving my for my incorrect reference. <laughs> but yeah, I, if it's like really short vignettes, I'm really looking forward to it because that would give us a lot of stuff to talk about, like once a month. I would like to hear about the women doing bastardly things. Yeah, it would give like a lot of opportunity for more minor characters to get some sort of development and minor appearances and so on. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a new manga specifically they specified in the announcement, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I think so, yeah. It wasn't an illustrated novel thing like the Curiosities are or anything. Just as we were lamenting the end of an era with all of the manga ending. Another era begins. (laughs) Yeah, it was really... Since all the manga were, like, dropping out one at a time and there were, like, no teasers or no reveals of any new upcoming ones, people were getting kind of worried. So it was nice that there was this reveal for, even if vague, there was this reveal for something upcoming at the end of the final chapter of the final manga. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the literal last moment. I think it's good for Zun to sort of be taking that kind of a break, too. He's had a whirlwind of a year. Yeah, delays and all that. And uh, I guess the last announcement I sort of want to shout out on the podcast is, so for those of you who haven't spoken to me for a long period of time about any topic ever, (laughs) it's somewhat well known that I follow Games Done Quick, which is a, like, big charity telethon that, People do twice a year speedrunning games for charity, and shout out to the reverse boss order Toho Luna Knights run that's gotten into AGDQ 2020. Reverse boss order? I'm not too familiar with the run because I still, to my great shame, haven't actually played through Luna Knights, but they you have to use, you know, glitches and tricks and unexpected stuff to fight as many bosses backwards as they can, and I think that'll be cool. I, I like seeing... Toho fans getting back onto that stage after sort of 
you know, absence for... Yeah, I think it's a good thing that Toho is... I really feel like 2019 is sort of the start of a new, like, era of Toho. Like, there's been, like, such a renaissance in both Toho fandom and, like, just sort of Toho content lately, it feels like. Yeah. It's good that it's getting more exposure, I think. Yeah. And I think it's good that it's getting more accessible, too. It's not just the exposure element, but, you know, games are on Steam and... And Switch. And phones. Official games are available and we have phone games which is our a nice segue into our main topic for the week so <laughs> yeah uh what was it two weeks ago now that toho cannonball the first uh fan-made toho mobile game dropped yeah more or less a little over two weeks from recording yeah so it'll be you know about a month so they may have been able to prove us wrong and i sort of hope they do honestly i kind of doubt it but yeah, sure. Yeah. It would be nice if they proved us wrong, but also... <sighs> yeah, everyone in the call, raise your hand if you've ever felt personally victimized by Fire Emblem Heroes. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I'm raising two hands. Luckily not. I'm just T-posing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah... I mean, there are upsides, but on the whole, this is, as a disclaimer, going to probably be kind of pessimistic about the prospects of Toho Cannonball. I think there's some positive elements to it from a, a perspective of how it got there. But so if you aren't familiar, I guess to introduce it, uh, Cannonball is sort of a board game type thing where you move around, you collect things that give you points and things that give you the things that give you points. <laughs> It's Toho Gotcha Mario Party. It's kind of like Mario Party, but it's Mario Party without the minigames. So I usually... It's boring, Toho Gotcha Mario Party. It sits in this sort of unfortunate valley between 100% orange juice and Mario Party. Yeah. It would be really good if it did have little minigames, sort of like Nitorink style minigames, <laughs> but like more a party oriented. A Toho Mario Party? Would slap. A Toho Mario Party would slap. I would love that. It's, I feel like, one of those sorts of genres that fits really well into Toho because you have a lot of characters who can do a lot of things and a lot of different stuff that can happen. Yeah, definitely. But... So the other thing that Cannonball does, and before we get too much into to picking apart, uh, let's just try and be objective for the first time in our lives and last. <laughs> so it also has a gotcha mechanic. So if you don't know what that is, turn off this podcast now, return to your cave. You can still be safe. <laughs> And if you are insistent upon stepping out of your bunker now, anyway, it's essentially you have a premium in-game currency that you can spend real money on at a ridiculous price or slowly accumulate over time. And you spend that to pull from a hat characters and items and stuff like that. And rate up is always a lie. It's completely random. Yeah, and it's completely random. And there's different characters with different rarities. And in Cannonball, it's like every character appears at certain rarities and up, I think. Every rarity, basically. Yeah, sort of like Magia Record. I've played a lot of gotchas, but I don't actually play any right now because I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, in Cannonball, yeah. any character can be Recovery. any rarity. But I think the actual gotcha only gives you three stars and up. You get one stars as, like, drops from quests that you then have to upgrade manually. And the upgrade materials are a huge pain to get, and you need a million of them, and you are honestly better off just drawing a five-star version of a character than you are leveling one up. Just like Magia Record. And like Fire Emblem Heroes. 
Hey, at least hero feathers are relatively easy to get nowadays. Yeah, I guess. A lot of gacha games and related stuff to people in here play, I guess, because... <laughs> Everything except Dragalia Lost that has been relatively popular in the last four years in the West because my phone cannot support Dragalia Lost. Sad face. <laughs> yeah. I play Granblue Fantasy and Bondory. I honestly don't really play any of them. I picked up Cannonball out of the novelty of having a Toho gacha, but I honestly kind of burned out on it already. Run! Save yourself! Yeah. <laughs> Save yourself! You're the only one here who has any humanity left. You're also the only one here who doesn't play Grand Blue Fantasy. <laughs> I played them in the past, I just never really put much effort into them. Real talk though, as long as you're not spending money on draws, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with playing gacha games. The instant you start spending money on draws... You should stop playing gacha games. Yeah. Yeah, it's over. Turn off your phone. I never really looked at the prices on the gacha before, but since I was like specifically trying to take this like holistic critical view at Cannonball, I checked that out too, even though I wasn't buying any. And I was shocked to find just how incredible the prices are, really. Yeah, it's half a whole ass video game for one ten pull in most gachas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's like industry standard is thirty dollars for a ten pull. Yeah, honestly, I thought that the format was like inherently predatory, but at least it was like cheap per single ten pull. But apparently not. No, no, no. It's designed to be like just like the right amount to get you to consider being like, oh, it's just thirty dollars, just this one time. But as soon as you do that, they've got you. Like, it's yeah. over for you. Like, mm -hmm. you're you're just going to be thinking that until the end of time, until you're like yeah. that guy who got, like, in trouble with the Yakuza for <laughs> fate pulls. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense on a whole new level. Wasn't there another guy who got in trouble with the Yakuza for the monkey girl? Oh, right, no. Uh, that wasn't the Yakuza. That was just, he spent so much money and angrily tweeted about it that Games was like, shit, we have to make our business model more reasonable. <laughs> yeah. And so they included a spark system, which means you can get whoever you want as long as you spend 300 fucking dollars on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, it's $900. It's just 300 it's pulls. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which is to say, don't which... buy sparks, save for sparks. <laughs> yeah. Toho Cannonball has a sort of spark system where every hundred pulls... Yeah, on the same banner. Yeah, on the same banner, every hundred pulls, you're guaranteed a random five-star character. Yeah. It has a very similar system to another recent gacha game based on Puella Magi Magica Magica. Is that Magia record? I mean, I had the impression that it's kind of the norm in a lot of gachas these days. Oh, I call it Stingy Spark. Yes. <laughs> Fire Emblem Heroes did it too. Fire Emblem Heroes has a spark system now? Yeah, it has had one since the beginning. For th uh, your 300th pull, you are guaranteed a random five star if you didn't get one earlier really i hate that it's random if you didn't get one earlier okay wow yeah so you can only get if you that's like really stingy i can't believe that grand blue is like the gold standard for generosity and kindness to its <laughs> player base actually dragalia is nowadays but also dragalia is basically grand blue but nintendo yeah it's still a Psy Games joint. It's Grand Blue after Psy Games has learned all the lessons from Grand Blue, but it's mm. the stuff they can't go in and fix. Including all of the UX lessons. Mm. <laughs> Psy Games, one of our 100 listeners, if you are John Psy Games, Esquire himself, 
We're going to have words about UX design. I will work for you for free and or crystals and <laughs> fix all of your UX. Please, I'm begging you. The funny thing is, this isn't even the first time I've heard somebody with like programming experience just straight up say that they would work for Grand Blue for free to fix their <laughs> UI. It's really that bad. It, it's quite bad. <laughs> It's maybe one of the worst UIs in all of gotcha games. Let's put it this way. Someone wrote a whole browser extension to make the Grand Blue UI more navigable. And when they finally decided to ban that extension, one of the game's director's accounts was suspended. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Their UX is bad, which is fair because they're like old by browser game standards. They're, they started in like 2014, but like there's old and then there's like, please hire a UX designer. Cause there was still UX as a field in the days of Grand Blue Fantasy 2014. Yeah. Anyway, we're way off track. We're just sort of roasting side games as UX. <laughs> anyway, should we do like a positivity sandwich <laughs> or, or our best attempt at one on Cannonball. We can try and close out on being nice. Yeah, we can. Aren't you tired of going ape shit? Don't, <laughs> don't you just want to be nice? nice? <laughs> yes. I think the most notable thing about um, Cannonball... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm... <laughs> Are you alive? <laughs> just choking a bit on the notion of not going ape shit. <laughs> <laughs> Are you actually going to be okay? Yeah, we're oh, yeah, a... I'm, I'm fine. I was yeah. just... Uh, we're witnessing uh, a death okay. live on Discord. <laughs> I, it's just, Christ. you know, it's just still a couple of those rogue clones around. It's nothing to worry about. <laughs> God. Okay. Um, I think the most notable thing about Cannonball is that it generated some buzz because it was, like, sort of, but not really partially endorsed by Zun. Like, yeah. less him endorsing that particular game and more just kind of giving his blessings to the yeah. idea of mobile Toho games. Yeah. yeah. But people misinterpreted that. Before this moment, he did not allow fan games made for the phone. He only allowed fan games on the platforms that he released official games for a long time. Yeah, so that was just PC only. It's not the platform on which it runs, it's the monetization scheme and the platform on which it's distributed. That's actually what the legal restriction is. Yeah, that's what I mean. Zun has a few legal restrictions on Toho stuff, and the big ones are if it's a commercial product or if it's released through a distribution method that has not been used for official Toho games, then the developers have to contact him for permission. And Cannonball was notable as being the first app store type thing to be approved by Zun, and a lot of people took that as this means Zun's working on the game or yeah. that sort of thing, which... which It's semi-canon, I've heard people say. There were people who actually said it was canon, which is like... Mm. Yeah, it's not. For some reason, that reaction was actually stronger on the like Japanese side of the fandom, I think. Which I think might be partially because... I mean, there were these like extra details, like him giving this extra interview about the topic. I feel like the Japanese side of the fandom tends to really latch on to wanting things to be canon because of, well, the Toho police. Um, maybe, but anyway, yeah, he did give like a interview on the game, and I think he also did a couple like tweets about it and stuff that did raise it above the visibility of the average fan game. And the other Toho gotcha too. Lost word. And since the Western fandom doesn't really 
follow Chun's Japanese tweets and interviews as closely, it didn't have such a strong effect over here. On the Japanese side, it definitely seems like there's some either confusion or like willing confusion about how much Chun was involved and how official the game is, but the the correct answer is not at all. <laughs> He's about as involved as due process is in a FISA court. <laughs> He hasn't even, like, made music for it, right? Which is, like, a thing that he has done for... He did it for Toho Mahjong and some other stuff. Shusogyoku? Shusogyoku is sort of weird. It's not really a Toho fan game as much as a game his friends made. It's mostly his pals joking around. Yeah. So as far as its official status goes, it is a fan game. And it kind of shows. And I do appreciate that it, it does seem to be like, even though Anaplex's name is on the opening scroll and all that, it does seem to be like a genuine fan game. Because if yeah. this was just Anaplex wants to make a gacha game. If it was just Anaplex wants to make a gacha game, it would be unfortunate. Yeah. Because I've played Anaplex's gacha games and they tend to have some really uncomfortable outfits in them. I think the thing is really that, especially again on the Japanese side, for some reason I've been seeing that side a lot more. There's an unusual amount of complaining about the fan depictions of the characters and all that. I mean, long story short, I think it's just from these kind of canon standards being applied to it, even though by fan game standards, they're ultimately not that far or that bad, at least not far enough to like make it any worse than any other fan game. Yeah, the thing is that a lot of the character depictions in Cannonball are very like cutesy, mimetic. Yeah, very rudimentary. They're not as bad as Ginso Wander, so I don't mind. Yeah, like it's very much though so this character belongs to this trope or whatever, and then they jack it up to 11, and so characters are very one-dimensional, and it's not a game that you play for the characterization or the lore or anything like that. It's just like, hey, all the Tohos are here, and... I mean, yeah, that's the main appeal of it. And I think that comes to what I see as the great weaknesses of Cannonball is... And I had this complaint about Fire Emblem Heroes, a name I'm going to say with a lot of negative comparisons throughout this episode. <laughs> it's a bad game. It has this pre-built background and lore that it can rely on. And rather than using that as the foundation to actually develop something, it keeps the bare minimum of references in to keep people who are there to care about the lore in, but not to make it an actually interesting view of that lore at all. Yeah. Which is more forgivable in a fan work because you don't want to be taking too many liberties or whatever when you're a high-profile fan work, which... Mm. Just, come on, take some more liberties. Yeah. Don't be a coward. Aren't you tired of being boring? Don't you want to go apeshit? <laughs> I mean, I do think... A part of that is just the fact that we're talking about, like, a freaking Mario Party-ass Toho board game. <laughs> that doesn't really leave, like... Room for deep lore. There's not room for complexity here, but you can still do interesting things with the characters in a format like that without devolving into 2009-era Toho memes. Yep. And the thing is that it doesn't even have to be directly integrated with the gameplay, like Grand Blue, which I'm going to be using in a lot of positive comparisons in this episode, <laughs> if you're not noticing trends. <laughs> it's a good game. Except for the UX. 
<laughs> it does a lot of gameplay things that I like, and uh, if this were a Fire Emblem podcast, I'd be talking a lot more about, about that direct comparison. I would absolutely love it if it was more, like, optimized. Yeah, that's just, it just needs so much quality of life. It needs so much QOL, and they're getting better at that, but they're getting better at that in, like, a Xeno's Paradox sort of way. <laughs> if Psygames Expectations moves one meter and the turtle moves uh, a centimeter, will Psygames ever catch the turtle? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that they do well is they have, especially for five stars for SSRs, very extensive character lore and stuff just as a side stories type thing. And they do it for events yeah. and do all that. You and they also have like a super interesting and very deeply involved just straight up JRPG main story. Yeah. Like, that is, and, and it's really part, good. <laughs> yeah. Especially like later on, it gets great. And I've cried about it. Part of that, of course, is that they have to build up all that stuff from nothing. They don't have the foundation to fall back on. And also they've been running for a while. It's true. The early arcs are a little shakier, but just because you have a foundation built for you doesn't mean you shouldn't build the rest of the damn house. Just because you have a foundation built for you doesn't mean you should do Fire Emblem Heroes book two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the big thing is that obviously the writing itself isn't exactly very interesting but in the end which i guess it's might come across as kind of faint praise the cutscenes and lines and stuff end up being my favorite part of cannonball like if you're playing toho for the toho then seeing the tohos is gonna be the best part i think the live 2d models and stuff are a lot better than they could have been too i really am glad that live 2d has become like a thing nowadays yeah and it's become more and more of a thing outside of just like anatomically impossible creepy otaku shit which is sort of where Mm -hmm. the first adoption (laughs) was unfortunately it really is like a fascinating technology and and one that's been put to a lot of like good use but also um call out post for girls (laughs) frontline yeah but even though for instance especially before launch since we didn't have much else to go on one of the big discourse topics was the voice actors and obviously there are still some like mostly generic or ill-suited ones mixed in there but a lot of them end up working really well and being fun to listen to. I really like Marisa's voice especially. The voice actors are excellent. The voice Hmm? direction isn't exactly the greatest but the voice actors make up for it a lot of the time. But the thing with Cannonball's voice acting is that it is a lot of like medium and some big name voice actresses that got hired for these roles but you can tell that the people who are doing the direction are leaving a lot of it up to the voice actors and you know voice acting is a very complicated thing you don't like you don't just use your normal voice for everything yeah you don't use the same voices for two different characters especially in the anime industry where it's you know a huge like Japanese voice acting is so much more of like a prestigious profession than it is here in the West. Mm-hmm. Whereas like here it's it's you get there's the same like 20 anime dubbers and then <laughs> there's we hired this cinematic actor to voice this character in this high profile production because that's clearly the same skill set. And that's where all our budget went. <laughs> or there's Mark Hamill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We shouldn't discount, like, all of the voice actors doing, like, fantastic work in, like, American cartoons. Yeah, but... Like, Steven Universe or Adventure Time and that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's just a smaller industry, like, as as a whole. Yeah. It's a small industry, and it's not one where you have, like, name recognition, right? 
Yeah. I mean, in terms of like voice actors, like where you know who that person is. There's not a lot of Mizuki Nanas in the West. Yeah. She's a like a singer who, who also voice acts. So I feel like she's in that sort of second category where it's like she's almost like we hired Robin Williams to do this or whatever. And of course, you know True. who that is. Because yeah. she's like a big celebrity. I suppose Kikugo Inoue. Sorry, I can't pronounce your name. Yeah, there's not like a Kikugo Inoue or a Wakamoto or anyone like that where they're... Tomokazu Seki. Yeah, well, we could keep going, but we won't. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> Voice actor discussion. If that sounded like an edit, it's because I, I foresaw where that was going in my head and edited the podcast live as we were recording the podcast. <laughs> Amazing. The air quotes, bad voice acting in Cannonball is mostly just characters whose their voice is probably suitable for the kind of character they look like, but yeah. it just doesn't match the character they actually are because Toho is all about subverting expectations. And also, I think my like headcanons just plain don't work in terms of uh, Japanese squeaky voice voice acting. In the sense that when I see like one of the fairies or something, if I imagine a voice for them, I don't think about like a really high-pitched child necessarily. I think about a, if anything, a normal child, to put it kind of rudely, I guess, but... <laughs> Definitely not like a moe anime child. Um... Everybody in Toho doesn't really like fulfill expectations of what they're supposed to do. They're just being themselves, they're not putting on a performance. Yeah, this is kind of a sneak preview of next week's episode, I guess. Even though characters in Toho might appear to be certain stereotypes or whatever, they really are sort of their own character. They don't really conform to the stereotypes that you might expect. And there's a bit of dissonance there yeah. um, when it comes to stuff like voice acting as a result of that. Yeah. In Cannibal's case, it's mostly the, like, kiddie-looking characters. Mm -hmm which works better for some of them than, than others. I mean, I can, like, air quotes, imagine some of them having those, like, squeakier kid voices, while for others it's kind of annoying. Maybe, like, Patchouli doesn't sound nearly as grumpy as she should, basically. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> she has, like, a kind of moe, shy girl voice. Lady, I think, is kind of health memetic already as having a really high-pitched, like, cutesy voice for some reason. That is bizarre. <laughs> She really comes off as a mom to me, so that is very odd. Yeah, it's probably going for, like, the energetic big sis feel or whatever, because that's how she's often portrayed with bouncing off Cerno, you know, but... Cerno. Her art in the game is, like, really cutesy. And by cutesy, I mean it's actually really cute. That's the thing. A lot of the art in the game is good, and I say yeah. unironically cute, and that applies to <laughs> Lady too. but it just doesn't really match with the common perception of her as like a slightly more mature, clear-headed character. She comes off as kind of ditzy in the game. It's not necessarily true that this was like a widespread perception, but I know that there was a bit of a fear among a lot of people that I know that since it's kind of like a quote-unquote mainstream gacha game, it would be like super horny or whatever. Also, just being a large Toho fan game in general unfortunately yeah i guess yeah that's kind of the case for a lot of toho fan games like uh let's not get into that get to wander. yes <laughs> yeah it was pretty well avoided for 
cannonball in the end. Yeah, there's some cheesecake or whatever occasionally and a highly questionable churno outfit in the future that hasn't been put in the game yet, but... It's better than it could be. Yeah, it's not like a horny game. I'm probably damning it with faint praise, but (laughs) it's better than it could be. Any of the horniness in the game ends up coming from the variety of artists that they commissioned for it. Yeah, exactly. And also, the characters aren't like zeroed in on the player. There's no player avatar. There's some like meta acknowledgement of someone sitting in the seat of the player in the like summoning dialogue and stuff on the home screen. But like in the plot, it's just the characters interacting with each other and you looking at the story. Yeah, and since we're comparing it to other gacha games, I want to compare it in this respect to Bandori, which I think is a really, really strong take on the sort of quote-unquote idol type game, even though it's not really an idol game, but let's be honest, it's an idol game. Yeah, it's an idol game in one of the looser senses I've seen it. Yeah, so the player character in that, there is in fact like a player character. Except you never get talked to. You do get talked to, but only in specific circumstances and like you're positioned as this just sort of lowly um, worker at the studio. Like you're not in a position of power over anyone. You're literally just like an employee just coming in, punching a clock and like watching drama unfold. Polar opposite of Idol Master. Yeah, exactly. Like the girls... You are not, like, a person in their lives, really. Like, they... They're just like, oh, you're here. Hi. Yeah, you're the person behind the counter at the studio to them. You sell the music discs. Yeah, and because the framing of this character, like, you're not the focus of the story, you're not the person around which everything revolves, that opens up space for the girls in Bandari to sort of form connections with each other rather than the player character. Which is why Bandari is so gay. Yeah, and it really allows the characters to develop and grow on their own without having any sort of attachment to the nobody that you are who is just working a job at the place they go to all the time. Yeah, it kind of avoids becoming the so-called waifu simulator and in that sense. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, Bandori is, like, demographically speaking, kind of a waifu simulator just because mm. of the rabid fan base of idol freaks who play it and have to be catered to by the absolutely insane, like, comments that the developers have made recently, if you're aware of that drama. Yukina and Lisa? Yeah, and Lisa's little brother. The completely unhinged response to that and also the things that the developers said to try to calm these people down. But anyway, that's beside the point. Like, Bandori on its own is got like none of that and it's really good because of that but cannonball it doesn't really do the same just because there i don't think like there's not really a story in cannonball is there there's like a story but it doesn't really have any impact on the characters they don't grow or anything yeah basically um i think there's like eight chapters at the moment was it eight or seven there's like a ongoing story of uh, raymond marisa looking for these basically giant cannonballs and cannonballs being the currency in the game and the whole thing isn't like explained very well Marisa just read about it in IS newspaper basically and dragged Remo along with her (laughs) that's such a fan game way to do it I mean to be fair that's literally the plot of Toho 3 (laughs) 
they make some like self-ironic jokes about it like Remo going aren't they usually seven of the orbs in this kind of situation but <laughs> yeah basically it's like the biggest possible excuse plot for them to go around and interact with a couple other characters but that part isn't exactly exhilarating and comes kind of out of nowhere and in the end the actual board game isn't supposed to represent anything in character or anything. Yeah, it's completely separate from the story. So I think that's a good segue into sort of what the thing we haven't talked too much about, which is the gameplay. And we've sort of described it's like Mario Party, the board game run around. And I think that this is the great weakness of Cannonball. Like, I'd be willing to put up with mediocre gameplay for the sake of characters I'm invested in, you know, as long as the gameplay is a little fun, especially at this stage in the game, where there's not much of an expectation of progression, because the game's just starting out, they haven't run events, they haven't done anything like that yet. Yeah. But like, the gameplay in Cannonball is, these boards are non-directed, and very small. So half the time you're crossing, you know, two thirds of the board with a dice roll. The battle mechanics are very simple. Yeah, and basically ignored at the point that you start farming for loot. They're inconsequential, too, because you can't really do anything to set back the other players too meaningfully, as opposed to, like, Orange Juice, where it's, you know, the gameplay, it's about the metagame more than the game itself. There's not really a... Cannonball doesn't have you making many meaningful decisions that impact the gameplay loop. Even your choice of character. Every character has like a special ability. Those special abilities are on a cooldown at the start of the game, and most games are over before they come off cooldown. Yeah, you should honestly start off with the ability or have like a two-turn cooldown. At least in general, they should have shorter cooldowns as a whole, or at least a shorter initial cooldown and then maybe a longer one and more variation in terms of how long their cooldowns are. Yeah, because all of the abilities are insanely unbalanced. Yeah. And they all have a really similar cooldowns. So something like Alice's ability and then something like Kagaro's ability have no different opportunity cost to activating them, but Alice's is just frankly worse. Yeah, there's some characters like Alice, for instance. Alice just stops you for a few turns from losing points if you land on a red spot which you basically can already avoid the vast majority of the time and only costs you a tiny amount of money even if you do land on one. As opposed to some other cards like Marissa's that just straight up lets you steal points from other players or uh, Sagume's that lets you reflect other players' abilities back on them. Oh my god. And uh, Yuyuko, who depending on her like rank, either puts one other player or every other player on a turnout. That's kind of ridiculous. Because that's just fair and completely balanced when they all have the same cooldown. There's like a couple round window in terms of cooldowns, like most of them have a four to six round cooldown. And it's worth noting that with balancing cooldowns, the marginal difference is a lot more significant than the absolute difference. Like a a six versus a five is much more balanced than like a three versus a two. So even if you're saying, well, this ability's on six and this one's on four, that's still, when the games are that short, you're probably looking at those abilities each going off once at most, at which point the four is only useful if the game ends on f- turn four or turn five. I think part of the difficulty of this is just the fact that a board game is a very bizarre choice for a mobile game. 
Like mobile games, you kind of want encounters to be sort of quick and fast and small. Like you don't want a protracted engagement when it comes to playing a game on your phone because you're usually playing like on the bus or while waiting in line or... At least you want that to be the case for most of your encounters. You definitely want to have a few big ones to get people to be sort of planning around and to have... Mobile games live and die not on the game, but on the metagame. That's kind of good to segue, like, individual gameplay balance things aside. The big problem with Cannonball that kind of just makes it not work is that it's, on a lot of fundamental levels, really unsuited to being a gacha game. You have to grind a lot for the materials, but the game is actively works against grinding. Instead of grinding being speedrunning quests, with a efficient team like in most gotchas, I believe. It's yeah. In this case, it's just trying to stretch out the same quest for as long as possible while earning points because the points are like directly converted into loot at the end of it. I think that a uh, round bonus would be really helpful for the grinding. Like if you complete it under a certain amount of rounds, you get a gigantic bonus. Yeah, that would be a good way to do that, I think. And like the fact that you have to be so engaged in order to farm up materials, you have to actually play and actively stall the game out. Yeah. And that's like not fun or interesting at all. Yeah, and I always like feel obligated to throw in that I kind of question the game design of games that are designed to run themselves while you like leave them on the table. But that aside, if you're going to have grinding and farming, then you need to make it like not an absolute pain in the ass to play. Yeah, exactly. The game format as a board game is like inherently not suited to autoplay, short of just being literally put on a timer or something to automatically complete quests. It's not suited to autoplay and it's also not engaging enough to be something that you don't mind grinding by hand. Yeah. It's also not brainless enough that you can do it by hand on the side while you're working on something else and just yeah. come back to it to put the same inputs in every time it fixes. Yeah, it's not like very deep strategically, but you always got to be paying attention to it anyway, which is yeah. like the definition of boring, basically. Yep. <laughs> like if we assume that the basic gacha game loop would be to mostly do the autoplay grinding in preparation for some challenging big quests, then... Cannonball lacks both of those. It doesn't let you do the automized easy grinding, but you also don't have any like big challenges to grind for. And I really with the system as it is now, I can't really imagine how you would make it into a like very challenges or so-called raid bosses or whatever without yeah. like making it inherently just more annoying by giving the opponent some unfair buffs or whatever. If they don't add different gameplay varieties in their events, there is going to be a pretty big problem. Yeah. The problem that I sort of view as foundational for whether or not this kind of game with the repeated small interactions succeeds or not is what's the element of progression you get from it? Yeah. There's not really a way to unlock new options in the gameplay other than by getting different characters. And even then, they're mostly irrelevant unless there's like they start adding broken passives or something. 
being a gotcha game that doesn't give you any real reason to like actually work towards or pull new characters is kind of a deadly flaw, I guess. There's kind of no point in playing the game unless you want to see the story somehow. Yeah, I'll be honest, I quit the game because I spent a very long time re-rolling for a five-star Reimu during the Reimu banner and I did not get her. <laughs> okay, that's valid. And that turned me on it. <laughs> Yeah. I got a Yukari on my a five star Yukari on my first roll, and then I played the game, and I was like, "Wow, this sucks." Yeah, because Truly that's the thing. Blessing. There really is nothing else to it than getting your favorite character as a five star. And when it, your favorite character is on the first banner in the game, like a game can only hold my attention so long for you can get your favorite character because I can just go and play a game where I don't need to roll for that character. <laughs> that too. I can commission somebody on the internet for a picture of my character. And then I'll get a new original JPEG of this character that'll <laughs> actually be a PNG. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I'll be honest, I probably will be getting into the game the day that they finally release Mako as an actual character, because so far she shows up in one of the random events that you get on the board, which, by the way, are both, you know, a nice source of some basic dialogue, but also an absolute killer for game balance. <laughs> the one where Mako shows up is just, I don't even know why, but I was just so... I'm literally at a loss for words, apparently. Are you having Moko emotions? Yeah, her, her voice is great, and her design is great, and basically even her characterization seems great. They're basically going with the uh, Horned Hermit Moko, who is basically just a badass bamboo forest guide. <laughs> the best Moko. You're having Moko emotions. <laughs> My main thesis is that there's not much point other than getting your faves and with the live 2d and the voice acting where it is good there is like some motivation to get your faves but it's really not enough to struggle with the rest of the game especially if your faves aren't actually in it yet and the thing yeah. is too if a game is just selling itself on you can get your faves like there's so many games that have my faves in it i like when and this is why i've, I've stuck with grand blue song is because it can actually get you to like new characters Mm. Mm -hmm. give me some interactions i wouldn't expect in toho as much more because you know it's not like they're going to be making up new characters give me like adore me and yuka interaction yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the real draw in the future is going to have to be interesting character interactions and interesting events i don't know if there's like different kinds of boards and board designs in Cannonball? Um, basically not. They're, I mean, obviously they're different. And for instance, some of them have more of these like one directional routes, for instance. Sure, but I'm not talking about like the actual design of the play area. I mean like the aesthetic of the board. Because it's just kind of like trees and a shrine and stuff, generally speaking, I think. The aesthetic does change. Oh, okay. A lot of the different chapters have their own. Like there's the Forest of Magic and there's the Netherworld. And okay, I think my list actually ends there. But I think there's <laughs> more. The changing of the aesthetic will only do so much though because the way that it's lined up is you roll the dice and then you move that many spaces in any direction and that makes those boards 
it's a lot harder to get design variety in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can all pretty much always pick where you want to go. Yeah, I think there needs to be a game mode where you just progress around like a larger board just in a straight line or like there are multiple paths, but you can only go forward, you know, Mario Party, basically. And I want to see like more interesting board designs. And the thing that I was getting at for how to keep people playing, I guess, is the other sort of online board game that I play is <laughs> League of Legends Team Fight Tactics, which is like Dota Auto Chess, yeah. but League of Legends flavored. In that game, one of the things that they do to keep you playing is like as you play over time, you accumulate points that sort of just unlock for your rewards. And that's the only way to get new and unique like boards for your specific area. There's like a whole bunch of different variety of boards that you can own. And like that sort of lets you sort of customize your own play space for when people's units come over to your area. And then when your units go to someone else's board, you get to see what they have it set up as. Having something like that where you are able to unlock more interesting boards by just playing the game more. Yeah, definitely agreed on the basic idea of more interesting boards. I think more generally than that, what it needs to be is more player choices need to matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because at this point, there is literally no choice in what you can do whatsoever. Yeah, there's like a bit of like the occasional math of if I do that, will I have enough points for that? But it's really basic and not an issue the vast majority of the time. With a linear board or more linear boards, obviously there's the balancing act of being kind of linear enough that you can't just go literally anywhere, because if you can go anywhere, then there is no choice, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, the other... there is choice, but it's like, it's not meaningful strategic choice. It... There's choice, but it's choice in the sense of there is a correct option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no assessing opportunity costs because there's always a obvious correct choice. Yeah, you only need to consider yeah. what you can do with your current move because your next move might take you way across the board anyway. Yeah, and I think the challenge with making longer, more linear, more strategically rich boards is that those will take longer to play and longer to win a game in, and that kind of goes against the principle of a mobile game a bit. But I think it is possible to still do it and make it interesting. Yeah. Basically, I think the best thing that Cannonball can do is just lean fully into the board game thing and just kind of accept that you're not going to be able to like get the same depth out of like short, quick board games. Yeah, and yeah. there's also the fact that there's basically no way to make either the board game or the battle side more interesting without making the current like loot system and grinding system even more painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They basically need to, as you said, like rework it from the ground up to make it actually suited to just playing the game properly. And I don't think they really care enough to do that. We haven't actually talked about the combat, have we? Yeah, because there's not much to say about it. It's bad. It's it's so bad. It's really just push button, they push. It's like if FGO's combat had less choices. Yeah, basically, once you enter a combat space, you have your team of three plus one friend versus two shapeless blobs of light and one Toho, generally. And then they just take turns attacking each other until one side falls. And if you're not going in horribly underleveled, you're going to like win by default. Mm. 
I think that this is another space that has potential for, like, in-combat banter and stuff like that to be implemented to sort of give the characters more personality. And I think, like, another big problem with Cannonball is that I think it might be a little bit afraid to explore and create new character interactions and stuff like that. Yeah. It's afraid to do anything that isn't exactly what the fandom likes. It's working off this like baseline of Toho that we talked about earlier, where you know the characters and you know what they're like, but it's also sort of simplified mimetic versions of them. And then like you can't go anywhere with that. Like I think that if they really wanted to engage people, they would start developing interesting interactions and conversations and banter. They would have to take some risks. Yeah, there has to be some risk involved. If I were hired on for the writing end of a Toho mobile game, I would be saying, well, let's set these characters in a different setting and build a world around that, because then you still have the character familiarity, you still have the personalities, but you can build different versions of them that people can get to know and see how does this character fit in with this world that we've built in the hypothetical JT writes a Toho Mobash. And then you can still (laughs) develop things. You can still do things without having to be constrained by this is exactly how it is in canon because you're being very explicit that it's not. Yeah. Yeah. You can even just literally have a city modern AU, the most basic of AUs. And that would be a fantastic just like skin line or outfit line in the game and you can have like a whole event about it. I think in the interest of time, we should probably move into what nice things do we have to say about Cannonball? We had a couple mixed in earlier. Yeah, I think I kind of dropped my cards already on that one. I like, in the end, most of the aesthetics, the art, and most of the voice acting. The music is great. It's from a bunch of circles. You know what I think is the best quality of Toho Cannonball? I think that it's a really good game for appealing to kids who maybe haven't experienced Toho through anything but like 13th level derivative works. Something <laughs> that is uh, slightly mimetic but not offensively so and still contains some amount of the canon characterizations plus something that has pretty simple gameplay could be a really good way of appealing to kids. Of course, I absolutely despise the idea of making gacha games marketed to kids, but... Yeah, the absolute most evil thing imaginable. Yeah, I mean, in the end, I'm almost loath to call them like microtransactions when we're talking about the 30s and 100s. It's not a microtransaction. It's a very different business model. It's a transaction. Yeah, so in the end, it's like maybe not as big of a problem in the end because of the fact that like that level of money is in any perfect world going to be more tightly controlled by the parents anyway. The problem isn't that the kids are spending money, though. The problem is that the kids get used to this business model of premium currency for resources and then later when they have the money to spend they're more Mm. accustomed to well i can just buy some premium currency and Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense there was this very interesting moment recently where the pokemon gacha launched god i completely purged the pokemon gacha from my head because i forgot 
that a game that was marketed to 10-year-olds had a gotcha. I was just like, what gotchas are marketed to kids anyway? Fire Emblem Heroes? Dragalia Lost? It just completely slipped my mind because I didn't want to think about it. There was just this moment where this game came out and it clearly pulled in a lot of new people who were unfamiliar with gotchas because... It had Pokemon in it. There was this big commotion on Twitter where people were like sort of shocked and astonished at the prices for a tenpole, which were industry standard, 30 for a tenpole. They were very sort of outraged and confused by it and and then there was like a, a large contingent of Twitter users who have been brain poisoned by gotcha, sort of like laughing at them about it. And it's like, actually, no, this is kind of a problem. They just are the only ones who are realizing it because you've been brain poisoned by gotcha. Yeah, like we've become so accustomed to this hellscape where having a random chance at your favorite JPEGs uh, costs 30 freaking dollars that it was like comedic to people that somebody might be like sort of appalled by that. That's kind of terrifying. Okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like being worried about getting kids used to the idea rather than the game itself, like getting them. The biggest demographic for people who are whales and gotcha games are 18 to 25. Basically kids who just got credit cards and jobs of their own. People yep. who just got money and have no ability to control themselves from spending it. With conditioning these people as kids, it's going to even get you worse whales. Uh. Yeah, and the thing is with kids and behavior in particular, we all know in like sociology or whatever, there's there's the Overton window, right? The span of things that are acceptable to talk about in any given political environment. But I have a, a separate theory and I call it the Overton basement. And this is the <laughs> stuff that is so far down out of sight that like everyone is like, oh, this is wrong. And when you're a kid, you understand the Overton basement a lot better than you understand the Overton window. And it's easy for people to come in with the logic of, well, this isn't this. So it has to be okay. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, speaking from personal experience, that's a thing that the anime communities had for a long time until the last few years, really, mm -hmm. were people who got in as kids and internalized all the sort of fucked up shit that happens in some portions of the anime community as, well, it's not murder or, you know, no, there's no rapists. It's just drawings. Yeah, exactly. Or, well, it's not actual XYZ, just like it's not actual gambling when you play a gotcha. Yeah, exactly. It's not really gambling because I bought the currency. It's that, that notion of this isn't that thing, so it has to be okay. Hmm. Is And once that gets into you as a kid, that can get... And when I say kid, I mean like until you're in your like 20s. Here, I don't mean like 10, because like the human brain doesn't finish developing until what, like 26 is the average. Oh, God, I'm going to be like this forever. <laughs> it's so easy to think of things in terms of why they're OK, that you never stop to think, why could this be wrong? Mm. Yeah. And so for things like gotcha for kids, I think that in terms of they're normalizing this as it's not gambling, even if they're not spending on money on it now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that sense, I think that, like, this was definitely, like, a big concern that Zen had about Toho Fan games being developed for mobile. I remember him mentioning in an interview that he was sort of concerned about the predatory aspect of it. Like, because the main reason that Zun allowed Toho mobile games to be a thing is that he did want Toho to reach a younger audience, and that that's where kids are. Because kids don't own PCs a lot in Japan. Yeah, they just, they play stuff on their phones, and he was considering how to get Toho out to younger kids, and the answer is phone games. So I guess in that sense, I am sort of happy that Cannonball doesn't... Actually work as a gotcha. Yeah, like it doesn't really... There's no reason to wail in this game unless like you're really, really, really desperate for a specific five-star character, which like... Who people who are just being introduced to the series won't be. yeah, Yeah, exactly. It sort of softens the blow of the fact that this is a gotcha game, I think, and actually somehow makes it less predatory. The fact that it fails at its goals, makes those goals less bad. (laughs) I guess it's the counterpart to Heinlein's Razor, right? Never assume benevolence when stupidity will suffice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the only people that are going to wail on Toho Gacha are, like, Toho super fans. Mm. And especially a small subset of one. I think the one big thing kind of working against Cannonball in terms of being like a Fire Emblem hero style situation is that people are so used to there being a lot of uh, Toho fan games. I don't really have an insider view, but I'd imagine that for Fire Emblem fans, there isn't exactly a lot of places that they can see. You can see your Fire Emblem characters in your Fire Emblem game or in Fire Emblem Heroes, and that's it. Yeah, because of that, Fire Emblem Heroes basically has monopoly of sorts, whereas with Cannonball, first of, it's just a fan game. There's a million other fan games and other fan content where they can see the same characters. And there's even going to be a new fan gacha game coming out. Yeah. yeah so there's... it's not like they even have one singular place in that niche. We'll talk about that when it drops in the interest of time today. I think it's going to be its like whole own and different mess from what we've yeah. seen so far. Which we'll talk about (laughs) when it comes in the interest of time. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, Dad. Yes, JT, yes. Yes, JT. So is there anything else that we want to do for, you know, cannonball positives or any other cannonball discussion before we segue over to whether or not we have mailbag stuff? One thing. In the end, even though the, the writing isn't that interesting in itself, Together with the aesthetics, it manages to be nice fluff to read that puts a smile on my face, at least as long as I'm playing the actual quests, and, you know, once I finish the quest, then it's just more grinding again. But the actual quests are nice. For people who are fans of Toho, like, it's definitely a thing that'll make you happy to just look at your characters. There they are. I want to see my little girl. And they're Life 2D, and they're adorable, and they have good voice acting. Yeah. Yeah, like overall, Cannonball is pretty great on that aspect. It just has some problems. Yeah. yeah. So do we have any mailbag questions? No. Didn't we have that like really big mailbag question that we've just not acknowledged? We've talked about the Seho question before, and that'll probably be its own episode that we'll get to when the rest of us stop putting forward ideas for episodes, because <laughs> I don't think too many of us know Seho and... Yeah, basically. I only know Seho because I have a PC98 nerd as a friend. <laughs> yeah, I for one don't have any time to research things for this podcast and use my actual brain until the end of November, so... 
that's probably at least the earliest time we'll possibly address it. I guess a sort of behind the scenes look at things, the way we kind of decide what to talk about is somebody chooses something that they're like some aspect of Toho that they're interested in or passionate about or just want to talk about. And then they're kind of in charge of hosting that episode and um, sort of controlling the conversation or controlling the flow of conversation or whatever. And not making it run on for two hours. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, anytime somebody thinks of something that they want to talk about, they're like, hey, I want to do an episode about this. And we're like, okay, we'll talk about it next time then. Even if you don't have specific questions about things that you want us to do like a mailbag about if you do want to send us asks about like hey you should do an episode about whatever topic we might do an episode about it yeah that's something that we'll take under consideration since the seho question is probably going to become an episode of its own yeah we don't make any promises on when we'll get to those sort of full episode questions but eventually sometime in the next 16 centuries Hmm. (laughs) it'll be on the list which we don't have, actually. I have a list. Oh, Oh, Katya has a list. Just the stuff that I want to talk about. <laughs> nobody, nobody else. <laughs> well, that's not actually true. I do have just like general ideas on here. Katya has the Katya list. I think on the great nebulous question of what exactly is on the future schedule, I think that is going to be it for this week on Outside World Occultism. See you all next week. See you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.